Hey, everybody, it's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have a super quick announcement to share with all of you. Beginning in April, I'm going to be launching a series of college to career live weekend boot camps to help graduating seniors as well as juniors who are confused about what jobs or careers they might want to pursue when they graduate. So imagine going from confused to confident with at least three different career options you'd be psyched to explore by the end of day one of the boot camp. And then learning the tools, tactics, and the strategies to find those jobs by the end of day two. The boot camp is live and it's led by me over Zoom. And you can learn more about it at College to Career Academy. That's college, the number two, career dot academy. Or you can just look me up on LinkedIn and check out the featured section of my LinkedIn page. I can't imagine a better graduation gift for the college students in your life. Thanks so much for listening, and I know you're going to enjoy my next incredible guest. Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Java junkies, welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in strategy and ops for tech giants like Snap, Google, or Cisco, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest landed on a formula to help you get your foot in the door and secure a job, even if you aren't at a target school for on-campus recruiting. But before I introduce you to Jonathan Javier, the CEO founder of Juan Sulting, whose mission it is to turn underdogs into winners, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, and it's got unique insights into dozens of different industries, including tech, of course, from the professionals who are actually working in them. And there are hundreds of episodes to choose from. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And the sign up box is right there. And make sure to check out my weekly live streaming show on LinkedIn, where I share coronavirus relevant career advice, interview guests live, take your questions and feature your comments. Just click on the link in show notes to follow me on LinkedIn. So you'll know when the show is live, you'll get an alert and you can tune in. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Jonathan Javier, the CEO founder of Juan Sulting, whose mission is to turn underdogs into winners and help bridge the gap between students who attended non-target schools coming from non-traditional backgrounds to help them get jobs in top companies. Juan Sulting empowers students and professionals to pursue their dream careers and ambitions. Prior to founding his own consulting company in January 2019, Jonathan worked on the strategy and operations team at Snap, Google, and Cisco, an achievement that is all the more impressive considering that Jonathan also didn't graduate from a school where these tech giants recruited, and he considered himself an underdog and grew up a first-generation Filipino-American. 
In addition to his online consulting business, Jonathan also juggles a variety of other initiatives, including providing advice and words of wisdom on LinkedIn and through speaking engagements. In all, he's led more than 170 workshops in eight different countries on topics like LinkedIn, personal branding, and a whole lot more. Jonathan, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated on life and ready to go? I'm always caffeinated on life, especially hearing you right there. I don't even need caffeine. I just... I just I'm ready. I'm ready hyped up. I'm ready juice. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Well, I want you to know, Jonathan, that one of the many reasons I wanted to bring you on, and you probably kind of connected those dots when I reached out to you over LinkedIn, by the way, is that you and I have a shared mission. When mm-hmm. I founded Time for Coffee three years ago, it was to try to level the playing field for those young people who don't have connections, whose parents can't pick up the phone, can't get them an informational interview with one of their friends or someone in their network. So now they can come to the Time for Coffee platform and get that same great career advice from people like you, from these networking conversations that I have with amazing professionals. So I want you to know that I feel a kinship with you and what you and Jerry are doing with One Salting because there are so many young people who need our help. And it's really just super inspirational for me to meet a talented young guy like you who's also so passionate about helping these underserved young people. Oh, yes. No, 100%. And we just want to help people because we're passionate about it and we love seeing success, especially during these times. It's what we need. Yeah. So before we dig into what you're doing now at One Salting and how you came to found this company, I was thinking we could flash back just a few years to the spring of 2017 when you were a senior at the University Mm -hmm. of California, Riverside. You were majoring in business administration with a concentration in finance. And regular T4C listeners know that this is a question that I usually ask much later in the interview. But because of what you're doing now and because you graduated so recently, Jonathan, I wanted to bring this question up now. Did you know what you were going to do when you graduated in 2017? No, I definitely didn't. And it's okay if you don't know. (laughs) And why I say this is because, yeah, I honestly wanted to work in the big four, which is basically the big four accounting firms. Uh, The reason why I wanted to work there at first was because I actually thought I could never get into a tech company coming from my background. But I got rejected from all those different companies. And yeah, when I was going to graduate, I was like, wow, I don't even have a job lined up. I have some contingent offers, but they're all the way in different locations that I don't want to go to. But I didn't have a job that I was truly passionate about. But I changed that perspective and was able to get my first job at Snap. So that's a good thing. (laughs) Well, we're going to get to that in just one minute because I'm going to quote here first. You've written really movingly about Mm -hmm. this on LinkedIn. And you wrote, In one post, I remember struggling to find opportunities coming from a non-target school, and you wrote non-traditional background, applying Mm. to hundreds of roles wasn't working, and I succumbed to rejection in the face 
of discretion. What were you doing, Jonathan, that wasn't working? Yeah, that quote is one of my favorite quotes. Um, And yeah, what I was doing was actually just applying. And why I'm saying this is because most people are just going to apply to roles. But especially coming from a non-target school or non-traditional background, you have to do things that other people won't do. You have to network. You have to go reach out to recruiters and hiring managers because at the end of the day, you need those people to be in your back pocket and you need these people to vouch for you, for you to get into that company you've always dreamt of getting into. So I didn't just apply. I tried to get referred for companies. I reached out to so many people to network. And that's what changed my perspective from just simply applying to getting referred. So when you say, I'm going to stay on this point, we're going to get to all the good Mm -hmm. stuff in just a moment. But I think just to really help our listeners understand what you meant when you say, when you said, I was just applying, what did that look like? Yeah. So I would just go on LinkedIn jobs or I'd go on the careers website and I just click apply. I put my resume, put my cover letter, and then I'd submit. That's all I would do. And then but crickets. You have to, and then crickets, exactly. And the thing is, why this doesn't work is because everybody else is doing it. Like recruiters will get thousands of resumes that just get up, have the apply. But how many resumes do you think actually get referred or recommended? by someone on the team or someone, for example, who works at the company, not as many as a thousand. So that's why I always recommend to people you should get referred by a professional or someone on the team so you can have a better chance of getting an interview and landing that offer. You actually did land first round interviews, maybe even been second round at a couple of impressive companies. And that was you know the big four when you still had that in your sights. And you had a couple of interviews where you actually flown out. Was it to Utah? Yes, that's correct. But then what happened? Yeah, I just, I went through the interview process and it just wasn't a mutual fit. I mean, I just, I realized actually during those interview processes and everybody listening, you're going to realize this sometimes too in your interview processes that even if you crush the interview, sometimes you might feel in your heart that maybe it's this role is not meant for you. And that's what I realized when I was interviewing at Goldman Sachs in finance. I realized I was like, am I going for this role because I want to be in this role? Or is it because I'm going to this role because I want to just work at Goldman Sachs? So that's why it's very important to identify. Are you trying to work at a company just for the company name? Or are you trying to work there for that actual position that you're passionate about? Mm. So what was your eureka moment, Jonathan, when did you realize that you were just going about this all the wrong way? Yeah. When I was getting rejected by Goldman Sachs and Deloitte, because I flew out twice to Utah for Goldman Sachs. I got rejected twice. Right. But then I realized I'm like, maybe it's not just a me thing. Maybe it's just not a fit in regards to my passions, what I want to do, etc. So that's when I had that moment. I was like, okay, I have to reevaluate what I'm doing because I'm trying to work at this company because I just want to work for the name, not because I actually want to work there. And do you think that that came through in the interview that you really weren't lit up? You really weren't excited because you probably didn't really feel passionately about Goldman Sachs. Exactly. In the interview, because I realized that I was just forcing my answers because they would be like, why are you interested in investment banking? And honestly, I had no answer for it. I just made it up. 
I would just be like, yeah, I'm very passionate about it because X, Y, Z. And I'd go listen to my friends who said to say this answer, et cetera. But when you're passionate about something, it'll automatically flow and you'll, you'll notice, you'll notice a huge difference of how you answer questions. So how and when did rejection become your redirection into the tech industry? Yeah. So right when that happened, when I was getting rejected by Deloitte and Goldman Sachs, all these companies, I was like, okay, let me go try to actually work for a tech company. Even though I came from that background, non-target, non-traditional background, let me just try because I have nothing to lose, but everything to gain. And that's the perspective that I had. And so what I would do is I would then go reach out to alumni from Google, from Snap, et cetera. But then I went to a non-target school. So not a lot of alumni were there. What I actually did was utilize LinkedIn, was able to find the recruiters and hiring managers on LinkedIn, and I directly reached out to them. And by directly reaching out to them, I was able to get my foot in the door. And that's when I got the interview. And I knew for a fact I had to crush the interview. And I did. So what was your message? What did you say in those direct messages to the recruiters and the hiring folks at at those tech companies? Yeah. It's pretty crazy because the recruiter at Snap, so quick background, but I actually kept in contact with her from March 2017. That was our first interaction all the way until August 2017, which is crazy, right? It's literally five, six months. Yeah. So I the first message I sent her was literally like, hey, Shannon, I, I love a job at Snap. Let's connect. She didn't respond. All right. But then I realized these hiring managers and recruiters, the way that they speak to you is you have to show them that you're a qualified candidate. So what I did was I instead changed it. I was like, hey, Shannon, uh, you know, thanks for connecting. I appreciate it. You know, I saw your recruiting for this role at Snap. I believe my experiences in XYZ fit the table or fit this role. I'd love to discuss in regards to that. And then I also sent my resume. And what will happen is they'll be like, oh, wow, like, she was like, oh, I would love to chat with you in regards to this position. And that's when I was able to get on the phone with her because she knew I was a qualified candidate for the role. That's so interesting. Now, how I'm just thinking if if I'm a young listener right now and there may well be hundreds of them who, or thousands yeah. who listen and then they all start reaching out to poor Shannon at Snap. Is that <laughs> is that avenue going to be a dead end? Or are there so many recruiters that actually they like it when you reach out to them with a really targeted message the way you did the second time? Great question. So there's two different parts of this. Yeah. So number one, if you know that this is the recruiter for the role you're interested in and that you qualify for, definitely go in for the ask because what's happening is the recruiters will, for example, source the people that they're interested in interviewing. So they'll use LinkedIn, they'll use a whatever, like ZipRecruiter, et cetera, and they'll go source the people that they want to interview. But imagine you being that person who does the job for them because you are that qualified candidate where they don't have to, for example, go interview a bunch of people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you should try that approach. But if you consider like, for example, like let's say a university recruiter at SAP, they probably get hit up by a bunch of people who are also students that are trying to get a job. How you stand out, like I mentioned before, is what are you doing that nobody else is doing? What I did for Snap was I made a project utilizing geolocation technology, which Snap used, and I gave it to my recruiter and my hiring managers. 
so they could see that I've already done their whole entire system. That's how I actually got the job. So you basically auditioned. Basically, I auditioned. It's crazy. This story, everybody like is mind blown about the story because when I had my final round, I had a case study, I crushed it. And the hiring managers looked at each other like, how did you know this whole entire case study? I bought a yellow folder from Dollar Tree because Snap is yellow. I put my resume and my business cards in there and my project and I gave it to them. I pulled it out of my chair, I put it on the desk and I was like, I already did your whole project. And you watched every single YouTube video that Snap had and and you were able to play it back to them during that interview. Yep. 100%. And that's why they were so impressed. They're like, wow, nobody's ever done this. I got the offer a few hours later. And I think the person who gave you the offer said she'd never seen an offer turn around that quickly fastest offer that they've ever had. I think it was about an hour or even 30 minutes. It was so quick. It was crazy. (laughs) Amazing, Jonathan. So what do you think it is about the non-target school graduates? Do you think it is a disconnect in their mindset? The idea that, well, because these companies are not recruiting at my school, that means I'm not qualified to apply. Do you think that's the big disconnect? Yes, I think the mindset part is very important because sometimes the difference between non-target schools and target schools like the Ivy League schools of the world is simply opportunities. The thing is for non-target schools, you have to make those opportunities come into fruition, whether it's in regards to proactive recruiting, meaning reaching out to people or reactive recruiting, having people reach out to you as a candidate for them, for you to work at their company. And the mindset part, why I stress the mindset is, is because people think that they're not good enough to work in these companies when in fact they are. And then when they join the companies, they exhibit imposter syndrome where they're like, oh, like I shouldn't even belong here because nobody comes from my background. That's how I felt when I was at Google. But that's why consulting started to bridge that gap between those schools. And I think the other part, so to your point, it's not just being at a non-target school, graduating from a non-target school, but it's having that non-traditional background. And by that, you mean what? Yeah. Non-traditional background can be many different things. For example, if you're a first generation student, if you've been through challenges and obstacles throughout your life that you've overcome, all those different things are non-traditional. A lot of the traditional backgrounds is, for example, like I was never able to call my uncle and be like, hey, Uncle Joe, could you give me a job at Google? And he says, yes, right? (laughs) So that's kind of the unconventional, non-traditional background that people come from is that they build their networks from the ground up and that's how they're able to get into their careers. Yes, and let's talk about what happened to you at Snap. You were hired there in August of 2017 as a product user ops operations specialist. Is that right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you loved it. And eight months later, curveball. Mm -hmm. That's right. Unfortunately, our team got outsourced. And I kind of had a feeling because it was just Snap wasn't doing too well. And this is actually right after IPO. 
So I was preparing the whole time to move. That's why I consistently started networking with people in tech, just to make sure that I was okay if they outsourced us, which they did. And I guess that explains why by April, a month after you left Snap, you landed your next job in tech at Google in sales strategy and product operations. So how did you do that, Jonathan? Yeah, so what I did was utilize LinkedIn, my favorite thing, right? So actually I was working at Boeing for a month. I was on a contract role, but I just did it for a month to provide for my family and for just for expenses. But what I did was I made a LinkedIn post that strategically was about me getting outsourced at Snap. I noticed that nobody else was posting about it. So I was the first one to post. And then what happened was my recruiter at Google actually reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in a role. And then I was able to get into the system because that recruiter reached out, basically reactive recruiting. And that's how I was able to work at Google in strategy and operations. Incredible. And you only stayed there, though, a year and three months. I want to ask you why you left in a second. But you also said mm-hmm. when you were at Google, you were, I guess, looking around and feeling some imposter syndrome or were you feeling, gosh, why are there not more people who look like me or who have a similar background to me? Is that what you were feeling or put it into your own words? Yeah, I was definitely feeling the imposter syndrome. I was surrounded by people that didn't look like me or didn't come from my background. And I was like, wow, do I actually belong here? So that's what the, one of the parts that I exhibited and which affected me there. But it was an amazing experience. Another thing as well, I was working on consulting at Google and I felt like I couldn't balance the two. So I was like, okay, what role can I go into that I can more so be able to balance both my side hustle that became my main hustle with my actual day-to-day job? And that's why I basically took that turn to leave. Nice. Because you actually, as you said, you founded OneSulting. Really, I think it was just very soon after you joined Google. You stayed at Google for a year and three months. And in December of 2019, you joined Cisco. And I believe your title was go-to-market strategy and ops. Was that what you felt you could do maybe with one arm tied behind your back? Is that what you were thinking? <laughs> or that it would it would really tie into more of what you were thinking in terms of one salting? Yeah. So my idea was to work in every industry. So software startup, software startup, and hardware and then learn about how they recruit. And that's how I implemented it all into consulting because I know how they specifically recruit students and professionals, et cetera. Another thing as well, the Cisco role had a lot in regards to remote work. So I did a lot of remote work from my house, my home, and that's how I was able to do both Cisco and consulting at the same time. And that was a main differentiator or a main indicator that I was going to do that role. And that was before or was that after the coronavirus started? Because you only left Cisco in August of 2020. Yeah, that was all. So what happened was at Cisco I actually got affected by COVID-19 layoffs. But they kept me on until like August because I think honestly, they kept me on because I just made LinkedIn content. I was only Cisco employee making LinkedIn content. So I was kind of growing their brand at the same time. 
but yeah, I mean, it was a great experience there. I was only there for about a year and a month. They wanted me to come back, but then I was like, I'm just going to start Wasselting full time. It's been growing like crazy. So I might as well, right? Incredible. How did you get to become a professional development lead officer and early career network guy at Cisco? Because I think that really was a game changer for you. Yeah. So I was super involved with early career network at Google and I looked for one specifically at Cisco and I found it. And it's crazy because they actually all knew me because I made a post on LinkedIn that went viral and 5 million views. And it was liked by Jeff Wiener, the CEO of LinkedIn at the time. So they all saw it and they're like, Oh my gosh, who is this person? So that's how I was able to like put my, get my foot in the door and have all these people already know me because of that. And that's how I got my role. What do you think the takeaway is for our young listeners right now, Jonathan, who are about to graduate in 2021 in the midst Mm -hmm. of a pandemic? How should they go about looking to land a job? And do you think it's still possible for them to think about landing their dream jobs during these times? Yes, 100%. What I would be doing right now as a student or a new grad is I'd be reaching out to people who work in your dream company or industry. I would reach out. I wouldn't care if they didn't respond. Find something in regards to them being with common ground with you. So for example, it could be in regards to your name. It could be your university, your organization, all these different things. Find that commonality aspect and then say it in your personalized invite or message because then they're more inclined to talk with you. And a lot of people are just at home because of what's been happening with the lockdowns, et cetera. So always keep that in mind, especially with networking. And yes, it's definitely possible to get into your dream company. Just be utilizing LinkedIn as best you can in order to find the recruiters and hiring managers and professionals who work at these companies. Reach out to them. I always say reach out because a lot of people are scared to reach out. And I think it comes with culture too. But the thing is, if you never ask, you never know. And if you never ask, the answer is always no. Oh, there you go. One of the big pain points, as you know, that so many college seniors struggle with are the requirements that show up in many job descriptions, likely in all job descriptions, but they say things like the number of years experience. And for the entry-level positions, they'll say like, one to three years experience yeah. required, right? And it's yeah. so intimidating. And I know that there are a lot of young people who just won't apply. Yeah, it, it's definitely intimidating. And don't be don't be scared to apply to those roles. But the thing is, like I said before, try to network with people at the company because, for example, if you know the hiring manager or recruiter for that role and you build rapport and you show them that you have experiences that maybe you don't have three years, maybe you have like half a year, maybe you have one year, maybe you have the minimum qualification. But the thing is, to be able to build that rapport with the professional or recruiter, they can recommend you and put you forward in the interview process. Absolutely. And look, the truth is, when I prepared for this interview and I looked at your LinkedIn profile, Jonathan, I counted up, in your case, five different internships that you had when you were in college. You may have even had more, but those were the ones you included. And you were working at places like Sherwin-Williams, Kohl's, Mm -hmm. Goodwin Organics, and even a vaping company. (laughs) I'm not going to give you too much shit about that one. But in most (laughs) of these roles, you did marketing and branding and You also worked at the front counter at UC Riverside Student Rec Center. If you had a client 
come to you today with that experience, which P.S. to me is like, this guy is a hustler in all the best of ways. How would you advise this client to package that experience and sell it to recruiters in tech to get that job that wants them to have one to three years experience? Yeah. What I would say is tailor your role towards the position that you're interested in in tech. So what I used to do is like, for example, for Kohl's, honestly, I did store management, but I I said instead on my resume, which it's the same thing, operations intern. The difference between store management and operations intern is significant because operations is a huge field in tech. So if you're able to change those specific titles and put them directly towards the niche of the tech company, it's good, especially for filtering. So that's what I tried to do for that aspect. And then also in my positions, what I would suggest or for someone who's just like me who does that, make sure your positions, whatever the bullets are, make sure they're tailored towards whatever the position in tech is. So for example, if you're trying to get a strategy and operations analyst, make sure there's strategy and operations in those bullets because then you're able to match the job description and then get the job. Amazing advice. I know another topic that you have spoken on a ton is on the art of networking Mm -hmm. because there's networking and then there's networking. And by that, I mean like authentic, strategic networking, not just Mm -hmm. reaching out randomly and connecting with people without a focus in what you're doing. So how do you recommend, Jonathan, that our young listeners, those who are still in college, about to graduate, can really be strategic about the way they network? Yeah. What I would say is, well, a lot of people will say reach out to alumni from your organization and universities, which makes sense, right? I mean, that's one of the most basic advices that you can give. But another thing as well is look for people with your similar background and that have similar tastes and passions as you. How you can do this is if you go to whoever's profile, you go to their about section, you can actually see exactly what they're passionate for sometimes. They'll put it in there. And then mention it in your message because then you're connecting with someone who's a very similar passion as you. And that in turn will incline the other person to go reach out to you and be like, hey, I'd love to chat some time with you. That's how you do it. And that's how you're able to build that rapport, which could lead to those opportunities. And then how do you recommend they prepare for those conversations? Because my friends, you need to prepare. Don't just hop on one of these calls. Jonathan has notes that he has posted on his LinkedIn profile. It's a snapshot of the notes that he took preparing for one of these calls that he was going to have because the man did his homework. (laughs) Yeah, I would say like definitely do your research on the person. Ask questions where you can answer their answer with your own answer. Yeah, for example, let's say that you're trying to get into a data analyst role and you're talking with the data analyst. You just say, hey, you know, I saw that you are a data analyst, and I know data analysts utilize SQL and Excel for their role. How are you able to be able to utilize that in your current role? Because then when they answer and they say, yes, I do, then you say, oh, I utilize SQL and Excel with XYZ, because then that shows you're a qualified candidate and that you're just like them, except you don't have the job yet. So you're basically playing back or echoing what it is you've heard they use. 
And are you saying you use that language then when you reach out to the recruiter? Exactly. Because then you interview, let's say the data analyst there, you take all the notes and then you talk to the recruiter and you say, oh yeah, you know, I've been able to do this is this because you already translated whatever he or she said into what the recruiter. And so the recruiter is going to know, oh, this person has done their research and knows what this role entails. Jonathan, tell us about your new online course at One Salting. What is in it and what can our listeners get out of it? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So we just released our online course about two weeks ago and it's absolutely amazing. It's all you'll honestly need to get a job during these times. So what we do is we have six sections in regards to how do you find your dream job? How do you build your resume? How do you proactively and reactively recruit or network? And then how do you interview? And last but not least, compensation negotiation has all of six different categories And there's videos in regards to how to do each one for you to network and land jobs at not only the top companies, but any company that's hiring. One of the gems that you shared in a webinar that you gave, and I happened to watch it, it was the launch for your new course that you did with another LinkedIn rock star with Austin Belsack. And actually, I'll be interviewing Austin in coming weeks. And the two of you, you shared with Austin and with viewers, the story behind the posters that you've got lined up on your wall and the strategic reason, man, you are so smart behind (laughs) why you have those posters behind you. And even the Yoda doll that you had for one interview in particular. That's right. The posters. Oh my gosh. These are icebreakers. Icebreakers are so important on video chats and also informational interviews. Why? Because, for example, I used to have those posters in college and whenever I had a video chat, 80% of people would mention the posters. And then we'd literally talk about posters or motivational quotes for the first five minutes. But by doing that, you're able to change the script and not just talk about things they're going to talk about, but just talk about things that are outside of work and things that'll make sense. Right. So that's why I recommend anyone who wants to try that. Definitely try it out. Well, but the posters that you have, you said, yes, they're motivational, but they're also telegraphing to the recruiter or whoever it is you're doing the interview with. I think that there is an unspoken message that is getting telegraphed. Yeah, there is. Honestly, it's also showing like those posters have motivational quotes on it. So for example, like one of the ones that says goal. And so I'd ask the person, I'd be like, Hey, like, I know you like the posters, but which one's your favorite? And they'd literally be like, for example, Oh, my favorite's goal. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah, what are your goals for this year? And then we talk about our goals for the year for literally five minutes in the beginning. And that's what broke the ice for a lot of our conversations. It's so smart, my friends, to do that, because first of all, you don't have to spend much money. And it's a Mm -hmm. way for you to start controlling the narrative. So often in job interviews, the thing that happens, which is supernatural because we're all nervous in job interviews, is that Mm. you tend to freeze up and it's hard. Like you're not smiling. You're not like breathing deeply. And when you have the opportunity to set a narrative at the beginning of the interview, things will start to flow. Exactly. 
I just loved that tactic that you employed in your job interviewing. I have two final questions for you, Jonathan. And these are Mm -hmm. questions I try to ask all T4C guests. Let's do it. Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled and maybe you even failed? Maybe it was that time after you had first started at Snap and you had to pivot or it could be more recent. But the most important thing here isn't the fail. It's the perseverance, how you persevered and the lesson that you took away from that experience as you shared in our Espresso Shots interview. One of the most important soft skills that our listeners can cultivate is grit. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to persevere. 100%. Yes. I would say a pivotal moment for that rejection was when I was interviewing at LinkedIn. LinkedIn was my dream company. And I remember I had four rounds of interviews. I thought I crushed the interviews. I was so excited because the recruiter was like, oh yeah, Jonathan, I'd love to talk with you on the phone to give you an update. And I was like, wow, they're going to talk to me on the phone. I think this is going to be an offer. Called me and said there wasn't an offer. He said there was another candidate. And that's when at first I was like, man, like these companies don't want me. But then I realized that I shifted my mindset. I was like, one step back. 10 steps forward. And that's when I networked like crazy to get into Google instead. And then I even went back to LinkedIn to do a talk there for their HQ on their offsite for their strategy team about how to use LinkedIn, which is crazy, right? So (laughs) yeah. So I think that moment was pivotal. And what I say all the time is something good came out of that, which was that, but not only that, I made an article and it went viral in regards to like millennial lessons from getting rejected by XYZ. It had about 10,000 likes on an article on LinkedIn. Unbelievable. Crazy. So that's what came out of it. There's always good things that could come out. That's what I say. Definitely. Definitely. And that is a mindset matter. That is about positive thinking. Exactly. Positive thinking. And that comes with the people you associate with. Have to stress that. You have to associate with those people who reflect who you are. Definitely. always do that. Definitely. I want to apologize. I've got like a leaf blower that's coming. Uh, No worries. I I heard a little bit, but no worries. It's like, you know, the Starship Enterprise is going to be landing on my front lawn. No, that's that's what's going on here. Okay. Final T4C question for you. If you could go back to UC Riverside, Jonathan, and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? What I would say is network early. So important to network early because when you network early, you're able to meet so many more people, but also prepare yourself for getting that full-time role. So I tell people all the time, network early, as early as you can, because that will set the foundation for you getting a job in the future. Love it. Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. I hope our listeners will check out Jonathan's new course at wansulting.com. That's where you can find it on his website. And I wish you and Jerry nothing but an unbelievably awesome 2021. The work you're doing is so important. Thank you so much, Andrea. And the work you're doing is even more important. So thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.